Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here. And uh, if you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. Uh, we are glad that you're with us this morning. And uh, whether you've uh, walked with the Lord uh, your entire life, and you were born into a Christian home and cannot remember when you never believed, or whether you're maybe new to the faith, or maybe uh, you're just exploring the claims of Jesus for the first time, or you're a skeptic, wherever you might be along that spectrum, uh, I want you to know that you are welcome here. Uh, we are glad that you are with us, because the truth is, is that whether you are a skeptic or a, a believer for many years, whether you are new to the faith or have been uh, a part of a Christian community for many years, we are all in need of the same thing. We are all in need of Jesus. You need Christ, and so do I. I need him more every day, right? Not just in when we first believe, but we need his grace and his mercy for every moment of every day. And so we're glad that you are here because he is what we need. And that is exactly what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that we are in need of a Savior, and that Savior is Christ. And that's what we've seen already in the book of Philippians, and that's what we're going to see again this morning in Philippians chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to Philippians 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to be projecting the passage on the screens in front of you in just a moment. You can follow along there or on uh, one of your devices as you pull them out. That, that's fine as well. Um, so we're, uh, let's follow along Philippians 3, beginning in verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come to your word acknowledging our need. We need you to open our eyes and to soften our hearts, and we need you to be attentive to the preaching of your word. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help me as I proclaim your word so that my words would be your words and that you would be honored. We pray for us all that you would allow our minds to be attentive to your truth so that we would know what it means to follow you. And that we would do so, not just this, mo this moment, but we would do so all our days. So we ask that you would help us now. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, I imagine that uh, if not all of us, uh, most of us know the name David Letterman. 
Uh, we know David Letterman because he's one of the most famous late-night talk show hosts in the history of television, right? He had a career, a very successful career that spanned from 1982 to 2015. I know he's doing other things now, but his late-night talk show career were those dates, and, and he arose to such high levels in his profession. In fact, in 2002, he was named one of the top 10 greatest television stars of all time. He was awarded with many awards. He was celebrated countless times, nominated for 52 Emmy Awards, and he won 12 of them. In 2012, the Kennedy Center honored him by calling him one of the most influential personalities in the history of television. David Lehrman, I mean, if, if we saw him on the street, we would recognize his face, right? If we heard his voice on the TV, even if we weren't looking at the TV, we would recognize his voice. Honor, accolades, notoriety, acclaim, wealth, and fame, he's received it all. And as he was rising to great prominence, as he was gaining accolades, as he was gaining honor, he gave an interview to Parade magazine in 1996. And he said this about how he views himself and his profession. He said, every night you're trying to prove your self-worth. It's like meeting your girlfriend's family for the first time. You want to be the absolute best, wittiest, smartest, most charming, best-smelling version of yourself. <laughs> it's good to smell good when you go meet your girlfriend's parents, by the way. Uh, he, he's right there, but, but he goes on. And he says, if I can make people enjoy the experience and have a higher regard for me when I'm finished, it makes me feel like an entire person. If I've come short of that, I'm not happy. How things go for me every night is how I feel about myself for the next 24 hours. Now, I can appreciate his honesty as he assesses his own heart, as he assesses the way in which he appropriates his job, his profession, right, the success and the failure that he experiences, how he feels like a whole person or a shell of himself, how he vacillates between feeling worthwhile and worthless and how it all depends on one hour's performance. I appreciate his honesty, but I have to tell you that that, that just sounds exhausting, doesn't it? I mean, exhausting. The anxiety he must feel every night, the pressure that weighs on every single performance. If I could speak to David Letterman, I think the question I would ask him is, why do you keep doing it? But y'all, that's not just a question for Letterman, is it? That's a question for us. Because we experience the exact same up and down. We experience the same feeling of worth and worthlessness. Right now, it's not based on a performance in front of millions of people on television. It's based on our sales record, on our physical appearance, on our education or the behavior of our children or the promotion that we've received or we didn't receive or the list goes on. Right? We all experience this up and down, the hope that a new morning brings only to feel complete and utter failure at the end of the day. And we do this. We experience this because we are putting our confidence for meaning, for life, for purpose, in things that fail, in things that are hollow. Now, sure, Letterman, he experienced moments of success, right? I mean, 
12 Emmy Awards, one of the top 10 greatest television stars. And we've experienced success as well. But we all know that the sting of failure stands out far more than the sweetness of success, doesn't it? Our failures we hold on to far beyond the moments of success. So what do we do with this? Well, often we just look to the next thing, don't we? Our career fails, and so we look to find fulfillment in our family. Our family doesn't make us whole, so we look to a friendship. Our friendships fail, and they're not enough, so we decide we're going to get fed, or we're going to look to possessions, or we're going to look to whatever next thing. But we know that with each of these successive things, we only continue to feel hollow. So what are we to do? Well, we have to acknowledge the hollowness of finding worth in these things. That's what the Apostle Paul does, right? That's what we heard in verse 7. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Verse 8, indeed, I count everything as loss. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Okay, what are these things the Apostle Paul is talking about? Well, he tells us in verses 4 through 6. You see, in verses 4 through 6, the Apostle Paul is giving us his spiritual CV, his resume for spiritual faithfulness. And what does he point to? Well, he points to his heritage, right? Born of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. What the Apostle Paul is telling us is that he has not come late to the Israelite party, that he was born into the people of God, to a faithful family. He would have gone with his family to synagogue, to temple. He would have worshipped. He would have practiced all the rituals and the rites that would have been custom for a faithful Israelite. And he would have practiced these things because it was clear that his parents did, right? He was circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. So from his earliest moments, from his earliest days, he was born into the people of God, and so he points to his heritage. But not just his heritage, he points to his obedience to the law. It's not just his parents who were obedient, but he was. He says, as to the law, blameless, a Pharisee. Now we know who the Pharisees are, right? If you've read the gospel accounts, we know the Pharisees. The Pharisees, to every outward perception, right, to every person that would have seen them, their outward behavior, the Pharisees were the most religious, most faithful people around, right? The religious professionals who kept the law. And they didn't just keep God's law, they kept their own law, right? Because here's the thing about the Pharisees. It wasn't just enough to keep God's law. They couldn't even come close to breaking God's law. And so what did they do? Well, imagine, right, the, the law of God is like two guardrails going down the street, right? And, and as long as you are within those rails, you're obedient, right? You, you could come right up against the rail. You could drive alongside it, right? It could take some of the pain off, but, but you're still obedient, right? You're still within God's will. But that wasn't enough for the Pharisees. Because they didn't even want to come close to the rails. They didn't even want to come close to the edges, right? Because if you get too close, what might happen? Well, maybe you would slide down into disobedience. And so what'd they do? Well, they create other guardrails, inside guard, God's guardrails, right? So they kept these other guardrails, and they obeyed even this. And to get outside of their law, outside of their rules, even if you were keeping God's law, well, that's not enough. You're not really faithful. You're not really obedient. 
These were like the super faithful. At least that's how they'd be perceived, right? And that's who Paul was. That's what he called himself, a Pharisee, a keeper of the law. They would separate themselves from those who didn't keep the law, and they would create these extra-biblical standards. And to the casual observer, they were the most law-abiding, law-observing people around. But Paul goes on. He wasn't just any Pharisee. He had such zeal for tradition that he persecuted the church, and under the law, he was blameless. It doesn't mean sinless. He's not saying he was perfect. What he's saying is that even when he sinned, he obeyed the laws and the rituals that, in order to have his sin purified. And so what does Paul say about all this? His law-keeping, his confidence in his obedience, his heritage, rubbish. That's what he calls it, rubbish. Now that word, that Greek word there, it can mean undesirable, refuse, garbage. What Paul calls this confidence in his flesh, confidence in these traditions, confidence in these things, he calls it trash. Now what's amazing is, is what these things are, right? Like it, it would make sense that you would call being a scoundrel, being rotten, being hateful. It makes sense to call those things, like I count those things as loss, I count those things as trash, as garbage, but, but Paul says these good things, these things that the religious world would have applauded, and not just applauded, but these things that, that the religious world would have promoted. That's what we see in verses 2 through 5. Paul has this discussion about dogs and evildoers and those who mutilate the flesh. And what most commentators think that he is referring to are the devout Jews of the day. Because the devout Jews, they would have called those people outside of God's people, the Gentiles. The Gentiles would have been called dogs and evildoers. And the devout Jews of the day, they would have practiced their ritual and their, their, um, their trusted rituals like circumcision. But what Paul is saying about these even devout people is that because they have put their confidence in the flesh, they are the dogs. They are the evildoers. Their ritual was simply mutilating the flesh. You see, to put our confidence in our flesh is rubbish. So where have you put your confidence? Your pious works, your skills, your heritage, your gifts, the people you associate with or the people you don't associate with? What do you boast in? Is it your influence, your control? The degree that comes at the end of your name or the title that precedes it? What have you put your confidence in? You know, oftentimes it's kind of hard to tell what we're putting our confidence in when we're trusting our flesh, right? It's easy to know when we've sinned, right? Like, like it, I'm not talking about like lust. I'm not talking about greed. I'm not talking about gluttony. I'm not talking about gossip. I'm not talking about those things. It's easy to see those things. What is hard is to see where we have placed our confidence. It's hard for us to see the sin beneath those sins. 
Like, why do we lust? Why are we greedy? Like, where is it that we have placed our confidence? Well, oftentimes, the way that we see where we've placed our confidence is when those things are challenged and potentially can be taken from us. Because in those moments, we start to cling to them. We start to hold fast to them. We can't imagine our life without them. And I think it's times in situations like COVID that we experience this. That, that where we have placed our confidence actually becomes exposed. Right? I, I mean, just think about this for a minute, okay? I, I know that all of us are ready to be done with COVID. Amen. Be done with masks. We're tired of, uh, we're tired of fighting. We're tired of people not giving one, the, the, one another the benefit of the doubt. Right? We're tired. We're just tired of all this. So we cannot wait for COVID to come to an end. And we take this collective side. But if all we do is take this collective side and go, that was the worst year of my life and I'm glad it's over, then we probably missed an opportunity to see what the Lord was teaching us. Because in this season, the Lord has been teaching us something. And I'll just be perfectly honest. I'll be perfectly honest what the Lord has revealed to me in this season. I like control, and I like having answers. And not just any kind of answers. Like, it's kind of fun to, you know, hey, Penny, Pastor, you know, like, uh, I'm wrestling with this theological ideal. Do you have some insight into it? Or, or where would I turn the Bible? Like, those are great things to be able to answer. I like answering those. But you know what I really like answering? We have this situation and this struggle and this difficulty, and we don't know the way forward. Penny, what, what are your thoughts? And, and I have this just beautiful nugget of wisdom, and it, like, clears everything up, and it's like, ah. Okay, we know what to do. I'll be honest with you, I like being that guy. I like being the guy who has answers, and I like being the guy who's in control. And I have to tell you that I didn't realize how much I liked that until COVID. Because in COVID, I had no control, and I had no answers. And it wasn't just me who didn't have answers, none of y'all did. Right? Because we had never lived through a pandemic. And we didn't know what we were supposed to do next. And we knew we shouldn't keep doing what we've always been doing because that wasn't going to work. That, that something had to change. And, and the Lord revealed that to me. That this is where I place my confidence. That this is the part of my flesh that I can easily trust in. So what about you? What about you? Did you notice uh, this first main point in your bulletin, if you have a bulletin, or if you're just looking at the screen? It says, the hollowness of trusting in blank. And that's there on purpose. That wasn't a, an error. That wasn't a mistake. It's left blank for you to fill in yourself what it is that you're trusting in, where you are putting your confidence It's left blank, not for me to tell you how you should fill that in, but for you to wrestle with the Lord and to ask, Lord, what is it that I am putting my confidence in? Not what is it that my friend is putting their confidence in, or my spouse, or the person sitting around us. Like, like that's obvious to us all, right? (laughs) Where am I putting my confidence? 
Where am I boasting in my flesh? Where am I trusting in blank? So that's not an easy question, y'all. But that is a question that we all need to wrestle with. And we all need to ask the Lord to reveal to us so that we will see the hollowness of trusting whatever that might be, control, being the answer man, whatever it might be. But here's the thing, ultimately, we're only going to see the futility and the hollowness of trusting in whatever we put in the blank. By the way, I'm not going to ask you all to, like, turn in your sheets later. (laughs) That is for you and the Lord. But the only way we're going to see the futility and hollowness of trusting in whatever that is, is when we see the fullness of trusting in Christ. You see, that's what we need to see, the fullness of trusting in Christ. And that's why Paul can say that all these things, his heritage, his obedience, his law-keeping, they are garbage because in comparison to Christ, that's what they are. He says in verse 7, for the sake of Christ. In verse 8, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You see, what Paul is telling us is that whatever we have put our confidence in, whatever we fill in the blank with, those things are nothing compared to knowing Jesus. I mean, that's what Jesus told us. Do you remember in the kingdom parables in the Gospel of Matthew? He said the kingdom of God, his kingdom, is like a field. A man goes to the field and he finds this great treasure. And what does he do when he finds this treasure? He doesn't own the field. The treasure is not his He goes and he sells everything that he has. He sells his house. He sells his fishing boat. He sells his clothes. He sells everything that he has so he can go and buy this field because he knows that the treasure in the field is more priceless than anything he has ever had. That to lose all that other thing and gain the treasure is worth it. And what did Jesus tell us? That that's the kingdom of God. That that is Jesus himself. He is that greatest of treasures. I mean, Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You see, he is calling us to see that everything that we have that might stand in opposition of him, that might stand in our way of being with him, it is loss, it is rubbish, it is trash compared to the glory of Christ. That Jesus is the treasure that is so beautiful that everything else looks like dung. He's the beautiful and greatest treasure because Christ gives us what nothing else can. He gives us what everything else promises but fails. He gives us life. Right? That's what he says in verses 8 through 11. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the righteousness from the dead. So do you see what we receive from Jesus? We receive his righteousness. Now I know that we often think of Christ's death Right? We think of the cross. We think of it as the place where forgiveness comes. 
where the punishment that we deserved has been poured out on Christ, where the wrath of God that we deserved has been poured out on his son, right? That our sin has been placed upon him. That is what we often think of as the cross and Jesus' work on the cross, and it is absolutely that. But it's more than that. You see, Jesus doesn't just take our sinfulness upon himself. He takes his righteousness and imputes it to us. Christ's perfect keeping of the law, his perfect submission to the cross, his perfect righteousness is given to you. It's given to you. Paul said we now have a righteousness not from the law, not from our morality or from our piety or from whatever it is that's in that blank because we are so controlled, we're so patient, we're so whatever. No, we have a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God. That if you are trusting in Christ, that his righteousness has been imputed to you, it is yours. Y'all, that is amazing. And if that were not enough, Paul goes on and says, we not only receive the righteousness of Christ, but verse 10, we may know him in the power of his resurrection. You see, the same powerful work that was at work to raise Jesus from the dead is now at work in us. That apart from Christ's resurrection power, we would never see the beauty of following him. And we would continue to cling to and to grasp the things that are but dung. But that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you and in me so that we can now live as resurrected people. We would live as resurrected people saying no to our sin and saying no to trusting in our flesh, but saying yes to God and to following his ways. And so friends... As these people who have received Christ's righteousness, as those people who are resurrected people, whatever it is that we have filled in that blank with, and however that makes you feel when you are doing it, when you are successful at it, right? I mean, I feel pretty good about myself when I'm in control. And I feel very proud and can easily boast when I have all the answers, Whatever it is that you feel purpose or meaning or worth, I want you to take those things and I want you to hold them next to the beauty and the love and the life of Jesus. And we allow Christ's beauty to filter our view of whatever it is that we put in that blank and we consider it rubbish compared to Jesus. We can consider it as trash compared to the fullness of knowing that life comes only through him. And it does. You see, friends, when, when we have received his grace, when his righteousness has been imputed to us, when we know the power of his resurrection, how can we not look upon anything else that would claim that it could give life and see it for what it is? It is rubbish compared to the beauty and the fullness of trusting in Christ. Let's ask God to help us see that now. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given your Son, our Lord Jesus, who did take our sin upon himself, who took the punishment we deserved and took his righteousness and imputed it to us. 
And so we pray as these new creations, as these resurrected people, that you would help us to see clearly that, Jesus, you are more beautiful than anything this world may offer, that you are better than anything this world can give, that your life is true life. And so help us, Father, so that we would walk with you, that we would obey you, and that we would live in the fullness of following Jesus. And we pray this in Christ's name and God's people said together, Amen.